Welcome to the Harbor Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information, visit us online at www.theharborli.com. I've entitled the message today, Dead Squirrels. Dead Squirrels. See, I don't want you to forget this message. Dead Squirrels. And uh, some of you are like, he has really lost his mind. I was in the sun too much yesterday. No, 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 no. I'm going somewhere with this. But um, before I tell you why I've named it that, um, I want you to imagine a world where there's no moral absolutes, where truth is in the eye of the beholder, where society is eroding, their standards are eroding. Wait a minute. Does that sound familiar? Um, But you need to know that... uh, those issues are not new. They've been around for a long time. And um, there was a prophet in the Old Testament by the name of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was called by God to make some public stands against culture. Um, and he was very unpopular uh, because he stood up for the truth that God had told him to, to speak. And uh, he is referred to as the weeping prophet. Um, Jeremiah did not have a warm and fuzzy life. He, was, he, he took a lot of persecution um, for being a mouthpiece of God. There was a culture that existed um, not too different than ours, uh, probably a lot worse, that where they had just pushed God out of everything, and, and God had uh, t- asked Jeremiah to, to, to prophesy that there was judgment coming to the nation. And... Uh, um, they had been unfaithful. They broke covenant with God, the, the, the Israel, uh, and it was it was uh, just horrible the things they were doing. They're worshiping the false god Baal. Jeremiah faced tremendous persecution when he condemned people for burning their children alive as offerings to the false god Molech. Um, and the nation had left the will of God so much and, and broke covenant that God decided to withdraw his blessings from the nation. And uh, so he was obedient, and we're, we're going to land in the book of Jeremiah today, but we're going to see uh, that God um, had a promise for Israel. And, and it's, I, I just love the fact that in the midst where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. So today I'm going to talk about indecision. I'm going to talk about the fact that all of us have to decide who we're going to serve. We, we need to make that decision. And the reality is this, is that highways at, on every road in America are littered with dead squirrels because at one point they struggled with indecision. Pretty creative, huh? You've, 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 you've met the squirrel on the road where you're like, don't do it, don't do it. Oh, you did it. Mmm. Jeremiah 32, verse 38. This is God speaking through Jeremiah. He said, talking about Israel, they will be my people and I will be their God. And this is really what I want to focus on today. And I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me and that all will then go well for them and for their children after them. 
I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them. And I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and soul. It's not a wonderful promise. And so that phrase that he wants to give us, singleness of heart and action, it, depending on your translation, it might say one heart and one way. Uh, either one, they mean the same thing. I want to just focus on that a little bit today because I believe that for some that are straddling the fence, for some that have a foot in the world and a foot in the kingdom of God, you're frustrated, you're miserable, you, you, you can't find peace on either side, and I just want to help you a little bit get on the right side of the fence today. Is that fair? So number one, if you're taking notes, I want you to write down the centered heart. The centered heart. Centered heart. Notice I have asphalt up there because I was thinking of the squirrels, just kind of as a little dedication to all of our little squirrel friends. Um, I will give them singleness of heart and action. The thing about the heart is that the human heart is really a paradox because um, one of the first works of grace from God is to literally break our heart. You might say, that makes no sense. I thought God was into fixing things. Well, he, he is, but one of the first things that God does in the human heart is to break it because, th and this is the paradox, when our heart is unbroken, it's divided. And when our heart is broken, then for the first time, it's undivided. And so, how is our heart divided? Well, it's, it, it's, a, it's naturally divided because within our heart, there are lusts and passions inside of us that crave the things that our mind condemns. You ever, you ever given in to a temptation and you know your mind's telling you, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't give in to that. And you do it anyway. Nobody here, just me. Our conscience tells us to rise up and live a pure and honorable life. But our inner passions keep us held down to the carnal and the sensual things of life. And so there's this great division between inward knowledge and outward conduct. We are, in a sense, a self-contradiction. We're, we're really a house divided against itself. The Apostle Paul writes a lot in the New Testament, especially in Romans, I think it's Romans 7, where he talks about this division in his life between what he knows is right and, and what he's actually doing and, and the, the war that, that goes on inside of him. And so, in contrast, every fiber of a broken heart mourns over sin and cries out for mercy. See, when your heart is broken, you are aware of the you are aware of the sinfulness of yourself. You're aware of the things that you are doing that are hurting the heart of God. You are aware of that, and you are broken over that, and you repent and you cry out to God for mercy and for forgiveness. See, that's the broken heart, and 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 a humble and repentant heart is united with one desire, and that is simply to be reconciled to God. Have you ever? You don't have to raise your hand because I don't really want to know. But have you ever like blown it big time 
and you are so remorseful, you cry out to God for forgiveness and mercies. Uh, you don't have to raise your hand, but I know there are people here that have, because I have. And you're like, God, just forgive me. And the other thing is, is that according to Scripture, God is unable to accept the worship of, an, of a divided heart. God fills all things with his presence. And so there, there's no room for another. And unless we try to serve two masters, which is useless, you can't, you can't serve the flesh and serve the kingdom of God and, and, and expect to get anywhere. It's useless. It's frustrating. The deeds of the flesh lead to death. Where the, 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 the fruit of the Spirit lead to life. And so you're literally dealing with life versus death. When, when, when you live for the deeds of the flesh, you, know, you might not physically die tomorrow, but there's relationships that will die because of the decisions you're making. There are opportunities that will die, and eventually it could kill you. Because we know that the Bible says that in the end, sin leads to death. It leads to spiritual death. And so we've got this, we've got this thing, that, this paradox with the human heart. Once it's, once it's broken, it's, it's not divided anymore. And if the heart is unbroken, there will be division in your heart. You, you, will, try to, you will try to serve two masters, and it just won't work. So when, when Jeremiah was, was quoting the words from God, and God is saying, I will give them a, 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 a single-hearted heart. I should know this. I'm the one speaking it. I don't know what happened. Just had a moment there. Singleness of heart. What he's saying is, I'm, I'm going to give you one heart, an undivided heart, a heart that's true. Uh, see, a, a divided heart is a false heart. It'll, it's a heart that will deceive you, won't it? If you have a divided heart in your marriage, it's going to deceive you. Right? And so God is wanting to give us one heart, a singleness of heart, so that we can worship him. And then he talks about, I'll give him singleness of heart and action, or that has to do with your way. Everyone say way has to do with your way. So the second thought that I want to talk about today is the fact that if you get your heart right, then the way will be right. I want to talk about an unobscured way. An unobscured way. God says, I'll give them singleness of heart or one heart, singleness of action or of one way. This is the, this is the reality. No one will have a reliable, dependable way as long as they have a divided heart. This has to do with how, we're, how we live and where we're going and the journey we're on. You know, the thing that we do as humans all the time is we ask God to bless things in our life that we already know that he tells us not to do. We can be, we can be living the wrong way and ask God to bless the situation. It's, it's, it's a lot like what um, Cain did. Cain said, God, would you accept the offering? And God said, I'm, I'm not going to accept it. I already told you what to do. And he said, if you do the right thing, will you not be accepted? And, of course, Cain got offended and went and killed his brother. 
And we've been doing it ever since. And we'll say, God, bless this relationship while we are living outside of the covenant of God in that relationship. Or we'll say, you know, bless this or bless that. And when we know in our heart of hearts and according to the word of God that we are not living the way God has told us to live. God cannot bless something that he's cursed. And when you've lost your way, you're like a hiker without a map. You're like a, 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 a traveler without a compass or a landmark. I've tried uh, a few times. I've went to the men's groups where we have went over the outdoorsmen's group and we went over to uh, Great Gun and, and Captain Randy, our, our harbor, um, Matt, uh, he's, he's like our, our captain of the harbor, Randy, and he's a little crazy when he gets out on the water. And what, I remember just a couple of years ago, we were over there, we were having a great time, we had a bunch of boats, and it was pitch black, and we were trying to get back. And I'm watching my GPS, my screen, and if that GPS would have went out, I'm, I prob- you probably would have never seen me or those guys on my boat again. And Randy just full bore, he was gone. He's been out there so much, he just knows. But you ever met someone who's lost their way? That was a little too aggressive there, honey. I mean, gee. I mean, I'm not that bad. Come on. I remember several years ago, um, this goes back a while, there was, uh, there was a businessman, a former businessman, that um, some guys that were in our church um, asked me to meet this guy at the, at the diner for lunch because he really needed to talk to someone. And um, I met him at the diner. And really sharp guy, and uh, um, the guys from the harbor were saying, you know, uh, t- tell him your story to me. He, they, they wanted him to tell the story, and, uh, and he was a little reluctant at first because I was a pastor. He, he just felt uncomfortable because I was a pastor, and uh, um, after I kind of joked around a little bit and got him to lighten up and loosen up a little bit, he started to tell me his story, and he was a he was a broker on Wall Street, was very, very successful. And then 2008 came, and he lost his job. In that whole process, in that whole season, uh, when he was really at the pinnacle of his career and everything was going good and loses his, loses his job because of the economy, he had, he had said to his family and his wife, he said, Let's, let, I think we should start going back to church. And... Uh, they were kind of taken by surprise, but he just felt like he needed to go back. It's been several years since he was in church. After about a year or so, he started noticing something wasn't quite right with his, with his wife and with the relationship. And it came out that his wife was having a relationship with the priest, which completely devastated the marriage and the family. The oldest son... Um, at the time of our lunch, was in prison on drug charges and was finishing up serving a year in prison for drug charges. And he had a younger son who was in sports, and that was, he was just really proud of, you know, just wanting his younger son to do well. And I remember um, 
as he was sharing this with me and the tears in his eyes, he just said, nothing was ever done about it. Nothing was ever, it was swept under the rug. And I could see the pain in, in this man's face. And I, I said to him, I said, first of all, before you say anything else, you, my friend, are owed an apology because what happened to your family was not right and it should have been dealt with. That even makes it worse that it wasn't dealt with. And I just, I said, I, I just want to represent the clergy. I want to ask your forgiveness because what was done to you was not right. And um, he got very emotional and uh, there were some tears and we, we really connected that day. And uh, in, in the weeks and months to follow, he was coming here every Sunday he, and he would always be the only guy in a suit, man. He was decked out, GQ. He'd always be in a suit. He'd come up in the front every Sunday and talk to me and, um, and you know, just, want, just wanted to, he wanted me to know that he was here. And pretty soon I see um, both of his, his sons were joining him here. And um, after a few months uh, on Easter Sunday, um, we got done with the service, and his son came up and said, have you seen my dad? And I said, I have not seen him, no. He said, he was supposed to meet me here. It's kind of odd that he wasn't here. And uh, later on that afternoon, I got the phone call that they had found his father who had taken his life. And, um, and you know, he was a good man. He was a really good man. He had some crazy things happen to him. He was a man who lost his way. And I had, I had the, the um, I'm not, it was an honor, but it was a dreaded honor of performing his funeral. And, you know, my heart just ached because I, like so many stories, I wish that you could hit a rewind, rewind button and go back 10 years when things really went off the rails. And, you know, what I started to realize is that you, you cannot live this life rudderless you can't you can't live this life and make decisions based on your passions and your flesh and your and the lust of your heart because it will it will go wrong every time and it went horribly wrong i had gotten word about two years after i did his funeral that his oldest son who had approached me that had just gotten out of prison had approached me uh, and asked me if I've seen his dad, that his son took his life. Good people who lost their way. There's so many obstacles that this family had that th there was not a way clear for them. There was not an obvious path forward. They, they were grasping at hope, and they just, because of all of the confusion, they just couldn't see it. And I think back of Romans 3, which is the very first scripture that I read that impacted me so greatly. And it talks about this singleness of heart and, and singleness of action or way. And you, you, know this, you know this verse. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Everyone say all your heart. That's singleness of heart. And lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Say all your ways. That's singleness of way, your action one way. Uh, submit to him and he will make your paths or your way straight.
the third thing I want to talk about today. And I don't preach on this a lot, and I don't know why I haven't, but I just haven't. And I, 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 I just really feel like I need to today, and, and I'm calling it a proper fear, a proper fear. Now, um, God said that he'll give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me. Now, man, when, when you read those words and you're like, God wants us to cower in terror when he's around? Is that what he's talking about? Is that the fear that he's talking about? That doesn't sound like a loving God. That doesn't sound like a, like a father. That sounds like a maniac. And, and, and so I want to talk about this issue of the fear of the Lord today because if you get the heart right and the action right or the way right, then there's this supernatural uh, blessing and strength that comes from having a fear of God. And, and so let's talk about this issue. So there's this false idea, I think, that has crept its way into Christianity that there's a God to be feared in the Old Testament and there's a God to be loved in the New Testament and that the fear of God is therefore not for us today. And see, I don't agree with that because based on Scripture, the New Testament talks a lot about the fear of God. And, and so many believe that in ancient times, they had a primitive view of God that needed to be feared. But now in more enlightened times, we have a mature view of God, and he's a God to be loved. And God is all about love, and we know that God is a God of love. But that if, if that's the only thing you're focusing on, you, you have a, a gospel that's way off balance. Because... If, if you take that argument to the fullest, that God is the God of just, just love, then why did Jesus have to bring upon himself the judgment and the wrath of God because of our sin? Why did he have to do that if God is just a God of love? God is a God of judgment. God is a God of, of justice. And Jesus gave his life to take the penalty of our sins from us so that we then could experience the goodness of God. Someone had to pay, and it was going to be you and I, or it was going to be Jesus. And his, the Son of God stepped up and said, I'll take the judgment that's desert, that they're deserving. I'll take it upon myself so that they can be free. Yes, we do experience the love of God, yes. And I know that it's the kindness of God that leads us to salvation, absolutely. But if you take the, this element of the fear of God out of it, you have a warped gospel. It's a complete misunderstanding of what the Bible is and what it says. You need to look at the fear of God as a friend and not an enemy. For many people, the fear of God sounds more like an enemy than a friend. You're like, fearing God, I don't understand that. It sounds more like a dysfunction than a sign of spiritual health. But the Bible presents the fear of God as a friend and a friend who will do you a great deal of good. People that God is in covenant relationship with, his people, he requires that they fear him. So I'm going to unpack this for you so that you have a proper understanding of what the fear of God is. Because I believe that can even be warped, that whole issue of the fear of God. So the fear of God, I want you to picture it like a cord that has three strands in it. And we know that a three-stranded cord is the strongest cord you could have. So the, the fear of God is like three strands. The first strand 
is the magnificence of God's glory. The magnificence of God's glory. The second strand that's wound through there is the reality of God's judgment. There's a judgment coming. There's a judgment coming for the non-believer, which is called the great white throne judgment. And there's a judgment coming for the believer. Not in regards of heaven or hell for the believer, but for our works and the motives of our hearts. And that's called the Bema Seed. It's a, it's, it's a judgment on works, but, but there's, a, there's judgment, and, and it's just the reality of it. So it's the reality of that God's judgment. It's the magnificence of God's glory with the reality of His judgment and the awe and reverence of God's love. See, it's all wrapped together. It's, it's like a three-stranded cord. And when you grasp the magnificence, the reality of his judgment, and the awe and reverence of God, you'll be brought into what people call the fear of God. It's not terror. It's a wholesome reverence and respect for God, which is the basis for godly living. You know, if, if, if I convince myself that, uh, God, God just loves me. I can live any way I want. He's just going to love me. You know, God has laid it out in Scripture, uh, guidelines and things for us to follow, not to, uh, not to make life difficult for us, but to help us. He says, he says, be faithful to your mate. There's a blessing on that when you're faithful to your mate. There's a blessing on, on uh, children obeying your parents. There's, there's a blessing when you love him with all your heart and your soul and your mind. There's, there's certain things that God tells us to help us, not to harm us. Jeremiah 5, God says, Should you not fear me, declares the Lord? Should you not tremble in my presence? I made the sand a boundary for the sea, an everlasting barrier it cannot cross. The waves may roll, but they cannot prevail. They may roar, but they cannot cross it. God is, you're looking at the magnificence of his glory. And, and he's saying, shouldn't you respect me with, with awe and reverence? Look at what I've done. And the person who fears God is the one who has seen something of his glory and his judgment and his love. God is speaking to people that are in covenant relationship with him in this. I love Psalm 111. This is, you'll know this when I say it. Where can wisdom be found? It is born in the fear of God. Everyone who follows his ways will never lack his living understanding, and the adoration of God will abide throughout eternity. Man, do you know, we talk about the early church in Acts. Unbelievable. I would have loved to have been there. Talk about church planting 101, the early church in Acts. And so we read about God adding to their numbers daily. And they were meeting in each other's homes and they were breaking bread and they were having prayer meetings. And it was just so alive and it was just awesome. But I want to read to you the basis of the early church and its growth and what was happening in Acts 9. It said the church then had peace throughout Judea Galilee and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers, what? Lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Wow. It's interesting that the encouragement of the Holy Spirit is linked with having a healthy fear of the Lord. I think that's amazing. 
So we need to understand this fear of the Lord that helps bring good to the life of a believer. When you look at the Old Testament and you see that the Jewish people would not even speak the name of God because it was so holy. They wouldn't, they wouldn't speak the words Yahweh because it was so holy. And now you can turn on any television show or even conversations at work and people use the name of God with such irreverence. It causes me to cringe. It just causes me to, man, I, I want to say, don't you know what you're saying about the God that loves you so much? The God who's got just magnificent glory? I mean, don't you know who you're talking about? In our culture, people use this name in profanity and have no idea of the glory or the judgment or the love of the one whom they speak of. It's time that we have a healthy fear of God in our life to, as, a, as a cornerstone of our life. To, you know, I'm not in terror of him. I'm not afraid of him, not at all, but I respect him. I'm in awe of him. I, I want to live my life in reverence to him. And fourth, this is my last thought today, an enduring legacy. An enduring legacy. And it goes on to say that I'll give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me and that all will go well for them and for their children after them. This is telling me it's not just for you, but it's for those that will come after you. In other words, God is saying if, if my people fear me, it, 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 if, if they don't fear me, it will mean trouble for the next generation. As our band comes up, I want to just close with this. If today we have a casual, indecisive attitude towards God, about His ways, the next generation that comes after us will be spiritually rudderless. We see a difference in our culture, when the baby boomers came into existence, which is my generation, a little bit of the Gen Xers, um, God became, there were some major strides to move God out of the public arena, um, to, to, to uh, church. Uh, you know, there was a day where bringing your family to church was what everyone did. That's not the case anymore because people... Uh, they don't have any interest in organized religion. And some of their arguments are valid, and I would have to agree with them. But we have found a whole generation that started to move away from God. And so I want to read to you something. I want to read to you the results of those uh, decisions and the results of that moving away that started with the baby boomers and the Gen Xers. And now we have millennials that are kind of in between, and we have this new generation called the Gen Z generation who are uh, people who were born after 1996. So they would be in their, their 20s. According to Barna, the research group, and reported in World Religion News, I'm going to quote this, the Generation Z can be regarded as the poll finds to truly be the first post-Christian generation. This is as the generation 
does not assert by itself any religious identity. The percentage of atheists in this age group is about twice that of the adult population identifying as atheists. So there's twice as many atheists that are Gen Zs than, a, than baby boomers or, or um, Gen Xers. When asked about the reason for their disbelief in God, the respondents said they failed to find any definitive argument for the existence of both evil and a good and loving God. It's interesting that Gen Z does not cite Christian hypocrisy as a significant barrier to belief in God. However, many cited a bad experience with church or a Christian as a trigger to turn away from faith. This age group is also found to be influenced by a number of political issues like immigration, poverty, and LGBTQ rights. About 37% of Generation Z holds the belief that there cannot be any certainty of the existence of God. Post-Christian generation. So I found another article from last year, USA Today, and this was the title of the article. Teen suicide is soaring. Do spotty mental health and addiction treatment share the blame? Is it any surprise that you have a generation that's called the post-Christian generation they, 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 they do not believe in the existence of a God, and yet their suicide rate is skyrocketing. And see, we have an opportunity today, here and now, to change the course for tomorrow. By the way you live your life. By the way you raise your children. If parents, if, if you are indecisive about serving God, your kids are going to be that and much more. So it's time to make a decision. Don't be a dead squirrel. It's time to make a decision. God says, I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me and that all will go well for them and for their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them and I'll never stop doing good to them and I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me and I will rejoice in doing good to them and will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and soul. That's the promise from God. Can we stand? I'm just going to close in prayer. And you know what? I, I don't even feel led to call for like an emotional response at this point because I think that sometimes we can do an emotional response and then walk away and forget what we just did. I want the words of today's message to settle on you to where you start making decisions that are different starting tomorrow and the next day, that you turn the course of your life and your family's life and you start having a, a heart that's, that's single-minded after God, that you love Him with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind. And that, you're, that you say, God, as, as my heart is set aside for you and you're number one in my, in my heart, then I know that my way will be straight. Some of you have struggled with your way. You're frustrated with your way. Maybe it's because there's some indecisiveness in your heart. A broken heart is a united heart. And an unbroken heart is a divided heart. Father, we just come before you today.
And we just thank you, God, for your word. And we thank you, God, for just a, a clear picture of who you are. A clear picture, God, of that just all of the, the dynamics of who you are, God. Your glory, your judgment, your love, your mercy, and your grace. God, we just thank you. And so I just pray that you would enlighten the hearts of everyone here today, that we would have a clear, accurate picture, God, of who you are, and that, that our responses today would change the course of generations that would come after us. You would give us the grace to make those decisions, Lord, and follow through with them. In Jesus' name, amen. We're just going to worship. We're going to just lift up the Lord. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus today, visit us online at www.theharborli.com backslash next step.